Hey everyone, I'm Stephen Walsh, and this is my podcast. I'm a self-professed theology and history nerd, and this is where I get to talk about all the things I love and anything else that helps me think more Christianly. This podcast is a mix of sermons, teachings, and some conversations with friends. If anything you've heard has illuminated something from scripture, challenged you intellectually, or simply encouraged you or someone you know, please let me know. That being said, here's today's episode. Thanks for listening. We're going to hop straight in, straight into the Word. So if you have your Bible or you have your uh, Bible app, you can turn with me to Matthew 6, or you can follow along on the screens. And it says, Matthew, 20, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. I'm really, I'm really expectant today. I really believe that uh, I already had a couple, a couple people come up to me afterwards and, um, yeah, some, you know, bear a little bit of their soul. And I really believe that, hopefully, God's word today, not anything I say, just the vessel, you know, but God's word actually speaks life to people. Sorry to ask again, but... Why don't we stand, not, not for me, but we're going to stand as we just read Scripture because we want to get that in our, in our bones that when Scripture is read, especially the words of Jesus, we stand in worship and in honor. So Matthew 6, 25, the words of Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow They do not reap, they do not store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor, they don't spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the very grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the ones who do not know God, they run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. And here's the kicker. But seek first his kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, we pray that this would not just be information alone that we read or hear, but let it be transformation to the deepest parts of us. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. You can take your seats. So as a church... You probably know that over the past three months, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus Christ's manifesto, his most condensed, his most particular, his most focused teaching on the ethics of the kingdom of God, the ethic, what you walk out, right? Christianity is not what you say that happens up here. It's not just this. It really is this. It's really what you do as well. Because your beliefs will naturally flow out of, right? Or what you do will naturally flow out of what you believe, right? So when Jesus gets to the heart of every human being, right? He focuses on what we value. He focuses on what we focus on and put our attention to. And what we put our trust in. And he illuminates. He brings light to the darkest places and refocuses our attention. Amen? So all throughout this sermon... 
He addresses the motivations of our heart, and today he'll continue, he'll continue to do just that. So today, our teaching is called An Appetite for the Kingdom. Can you say that? An Appetite, An appetite. for the kingdom. the kingdom. What you seek is what you end up worshiping. What you seek, you will inevitably worship. Sounds normal, sounds A plus B to you, right? But what you seek is what you worship. When I was reading this passage in preparation for this morning, two phrases came to my mind, one from culture, one from history. And the two phrases are, I don't know how, but they just came straight to my mind. You are what you eat, and then clothing makes the man. I'm not joking. I was reading the Bible, and these two things came to my mind. The first one, obviously, you are what you eat. Someone could help me later on. I don't know who coined this. I didn't really care enough to, like, Google who, who coined this amazing phrase, right? You are what you eat. It's probably some health guru or something like that. But it's been said many times, right? And I don't know if I agree with it fully, but, you know, <laughs> you are what you eat. So if that's true, if you are what you eat, me, personally, I, this, is, this is my identity. My identity is Vietnamese pho. All right, it's a type of soup, and that is literally, I, some of my wildfire leaders and friends know how, how much I go out and I get this food. This is probably where a good portion of my money goes, and that's really not good, but I'm being honest and vulnerable with you now, so is that okay if I'm a little vulnerable? I love this food. This is, it's just sweet enough, it's just spicy enough, there's like meat, there's noodles, I love it, it's my favorite. A lady just came up to me and was like, I actually have the best spot for you. And I'm like, stop, write it down right now. <laughs> I'm so excited. She told me about it. I was, I was already floored. I was like, see, Holy Spirit, I knew you'd work today. <laughs> I knew you'd work. But this is my favorite food. I will say this, though. Haitian food is rising in the ranks because of our Haitian brothers and sisters in our house this morning. And what is it? Dijon, what is it? Dijon, John, right? The rice and then the jerk. Oh, Two weeks ago, Fitzgerald's christening. Oh my gosh, the food was amazing. If you weren't there, like, what are you doing? It was amazing. It was amazing. Like, so, but I, I thought very, in a funny way, I am what I eat. I love that. I love that. I, I resonated with that. But if I'm really honest, this is not exactly what the most common thing I eat. And my friends back at college know uh, it's so bad. I, I'm being honest with you, but this is the snack. It's so bad. I know, I know. I've, I've, I've gotten better. I'm like going less sugar, less sugar. But man, for some reason, these, these are from the enemy for me. And my friends in college, when they would come in, they'd see that there was like two little tubes of Pringles chips. They knew we have to get him to the church. We got to get him to the pastor. They got to lay hands on him because he's going through something. And I'd be like, oh. this is just, it always, always gets me. But then the second phrase, right? Clothing makes the man. Right? You are what you eat. Gym people, like they'll tell you, you are what you eat, right? I don't know if I agree with it fully, but I understand the phrase. But clothing makes the man. That's another phrase. Very popular in our, in, our, in our country. It's like that type of idea everyone understands, but it's very old. Very old saying. Very old. But I was watching YouTube, as you do, and I came across this, oh my gosh, it bugged me so much I had to, I had to talk about it. I came across this type of video and it's called, if you don't know what it is, it's called Get Ready With Me. 
and it's this craze right now, and it's called Get Ready With Me. Yes, some of you are shaking your heads. I understand. The world is crazy, and I found out about this as well, and I was like, what is this? There are these men and women, but I watched the men one. There are men that will literally put their phone on record, and oh, also, if anyone, have, if anyone does that in here, I'm not shaming you. I'm just saying, I'm just, all right, wow, okay. There are people who put their phone on, and then they hold the, the hangers, and they put the hangers in front of themselves, and they literally plan out their outfit. And they don't just do that. They literally will say what each piece of clothing, really how it solidifies their identity through the day. What this says about me, I'm not entirely sure. They'll go into all these different things, and then they finally pick an outfit for the day, and then they go. I watched it for two minutes, and then I, got, I, I was like, I can't watch this. I can't watch this. I'm like, you have time for this. I was like, they have time for this. I'm like, listen, if they're making money and all that, that's fine. But like, it was wild. It blew my mind, and it made me think, clothing makes the man. That's what our world thinks. Clothing makes the man. And then I looked down below, and there were almost a million views on this one video. And it was, I'm not trying to find depth in something normal, but like, man, it really made me think. And it made me think about our world today, right? It seems our world definitely believes that the clothes that you wear, the food that you eat, right? We have a, we have a lovely surplus of food in our world today. We have great restaurants wherever you go. But it's interesting that people really make food and clothing a very vital part of their life, possibly above what it is. Now, it is vital, though. Every person in every country all throughout history has to navigate the very simple thing of what are you going to eat and what are you going to wear, right? Right? <laughs> you, can, you can speak, right? Yeah. Clo food and clothing is extremely normal, core, fundamental, basic, whatever you want to say, aspect of being a human being. You can survive without almost anything. You cannot survive without food and water right? Everything else is an add-on in our world, and clothing is a basic necessity. Food gives us basic nutrients. I don't need to talk about that. You all understand this, right? But the interesting thing is, why do we seek after these fundamental things? Well, every single day, you're going to think at the very least three times about food, if not far, far, far more, right? Food is the most common thing that you're going to think of throughout the rest of your life. It is, the most, it is the greatest thing that you'll ever think about, the most common, right? But we were created to need. God created every human being with a fundamental base that we need things. We are not autonomous. We can't just walk our own life by ourselves under our own power. If you don't eat, you die. If you don't drink, you die. We literally believe that we are autonomous, but we're not. The very food we eat is gifted by God. Through all the processes that it happens, it's still the Lord. Amen? But hunger, when you need something, it creates a hunger. And hunger creates something that we need. It begins to have a cycle. And when we start receiving that thing we need, it creates in us an appetite. When I get that thing I desire, I get that thing I need, and I taste it, and I have it, whether it be something I wear that I feel like I look good in, I start to develop what's known as an appetite. And an appetite is very simple, right? 
It's a natural-based thing. But all of us know appetites do not stay at the most basic level, right? 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 Picture me with the Pringles. It does not stay at the most basic fundamental thing. Our hunger leads to seeking. What you have an appetite for, you will seek for. What you have an appetite for, you will seek for. And an appetite goes far beyond basic hunger when it comes to human beings. So if our hunger naturally leads us to seek after things that we want and desire, well, that's going to probably make me think about them a whole lot, right? The thing I think about, the thing I seek, the thing I desire, I'm going to start using a lot of my brain power and attention will be on that thing, right? So therefore, what I put my attention on, I start to value a whole lot. What I seek after, I start to think and I start to ponder and I start to worry about it. I start to worry when I'm going to get the next bit of it. I start to seek it. I start to find it. I start to search for it, right? You see where I'm going? The question is not whether you will love something or hunger for something or desire something as ultimate in this life. That will happen. The question is what you will ultimately love in this life. Because at the end of the day, you are what you love. You are in reflection of what you love. Can I get an amen? We are in our very nature created to need. We are seekers. We are searching for something and seeking after something. And that is worship. That is worship. If every human being was created with a fundamental need, that is what we seek. And what we seek begins to be what we worship and we give all of our attention to. But if you begin to worship something other than God, as God, well, that's the very definition of idolatry, right? Very simple. Your God is the thing you give all your attention to. If all of your attention is given to worry, if all your attention is given to food, pleasure, even the people around you, they are by definition higher than God. They don't need to be made of gold. So this brings us back to the text that we're going to read again. And we're going to be able to ask these questions. What does Jesus have to say then about my base desires, my hungers? What do I put my trust in? Is he going to attack that? Is he going to unravel that? And then what does Jesus want me to then seek instead? Right? Because what we seek, we worship. So therefore I tell you, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than clothes, right? Pretty self-explanatory. Jesus is saying life consists far more than the basic fundamental urges and the basic things we think we need, right? There's so much more going on if we're only willing to put our attention on that thing, not the created thing, right? And then he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap. They don't stow away in barns. That's interesting. We'll come back to that. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable? Say valuable. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? When I sit in my worry, sometimes I really believe that I'm pausing time 
and I'm able to genuinely think through things, and I'm mulling over the details. In reality, worry is the very thing that is stealing my time. It is the very thing that is robbing me of every moment where I could have gone to God, where I could have gone to godly counsel. Anxiety and worry will steal everything from you if you allow it. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor were dressed like the flowers of the field. How innocent that picture is. God clothes the grass of the field. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You don't need great faith to be clothed. He's saying to them, you have little faith, and yet God, and yet God. It's not a measure of what you can do. It's a measure of how good he is and what he will do. Amen? Amen? Trust me, this is a message where you're going to have to tell yourself yes. <laughs> Trust me. Food and clothing, he comes after the most basic things. Let's be real, though. Let's be honest, okay? When I read the words of Jesus, it's very easy to be like, well, it's Jesus, so i got to listen to it, and obviously it's profound, even if I don't really think it is or I misunderstand it. So maybe I'm the only one here who reads this and goes, you know, this is a little extreme. This is a little, uh, a little tough, right? Don't ever worry at all, at all. Don't ever be concerned about any problems, right? Everyone has sat back and thought to themselves sometimes, Jesus, what, what do you mean? How do you do this in real life? Like, don't you know, like, I'm important. Don't you know you're important? You've got things to do. You have kids to take care of. You have jobs to hunt down. You've got deadlines to make it work, right? These are the things we actually, make, like, actually think about, right? I have things to do, and they bear down upon me, Jesus. Aren't you going to be with me to help me? Don't just tell me not to worry. No one's ever thought like that before. Am I the only one? Wow, I got an attitude maybe. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, a little bit of honesty. Like When I read that, I go, how am I supposed to really do that? How am I supposed to actually do that? Yes, I'm reminded, but it's hard. But if he says it, doesn't that mean we can do it? It's interesting. And he says, to make matters more confusing, when I read this, I go, the birds don't sow or reap or stow away in barns. Are you telling me I shouldn't be filled with stewardship? Are you telling me I shouldn't plan for the future? Are you telling me that like, oh, God's got you. Just go quit your job and, you know? I think no. I think absolutely not. I think that that frame of reference is popularizing, and I think it's not good. We should definitely be working, right? A worker's worth his wages, and Paul was a temp maker, right? We understand that. Fishermen all over the place. But what is he trying to say? What is he trying to say? It's interesting. The one thing that I think we can look at that helps is it's good to ask, what does he mean by worry? What does Jesus mean by worry? Do not worry, right? So as you know, Greek is the language of the text, ancient Greek, and the word there for worry is this word. Why don't you say it with me? Merimnate. Try it one more time. You got it. Merimnate. Very simple, right? To be anxious about, to be concerned for, to be deeply troubled. And you're thinking right now, well, that literally means what it says <laughs> in English. Okay, I didn't really need this, you know, Bible nerd thing. Thanks, Stephen. It says to be anxious about, to be concerned for, to be deeply troubled. Fantastic. But it's not about the word necessarily, but the context in which Jesus has used this word before. 
when you get in your Bible, I would challenge you. Look at where Jesus uses different things at different times. It takes getting into the text. It takes getting the gears moving. Don't just read it on the surface. Ask, Jesus is teaching all the time. Where has he said this before? Well, there's one other place and then a second one, Luke 10. Another time he uses this word, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about a great many things. When Jesus visits the house of Martha and Mary, and Martha is cleaning and organizing everything and doing everything she can to make sure the house is spotless, everything is ready for Jesus. Jesus is coming. And then remember, she yells. She yells at Mary. Jesus, aren't you going to tell her to come help me? All the things I have to do. And Jesus uses this word, merimnate, for you are worried. This word here translates as well to a divided mind. This depicts a divided and a distracted heart. When the things that you're doing in order to please Jesus become more important than the fact that he's in the other room teaching you. This is when the things that you do become an idol far above God. And he says, Mary has chosen the better thing. That would be hard to hear. So a divided mind. Being worried can be a divided mind. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I honestly believe that that's one of the things I struggle with the most is really slowing down, getting off my phone, not thinking about the things I need to do, although they are good things, but going, my value, my identity is in Christ. I'm going to keep walking now. I'm going to do it but I don't do it to earn. I don't do it to earn my place. I don't do it to become favorable in the eyes of my friends or the eyes of our church. I don't need to wear this thing. But I do what I do. I do the good things from that place of knowing that my Heavenly Father loves me. Amen? 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 So secondly, Jesus uses this word somewhere else, Luke 8. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell among thorns, which grew up with the seed and choked the plant. So this describes the very serious reality of when the word of God is sown to your heart, when you hear it, and then thorns grow up around it. What are the thorns? Is it sin? Is it wickedness? Is it debauchery? Is it the most evil things, the big things we all think about? No. Choked. That word again, translated as choked here, is the things and the daily cares of this world. The daily, fundamental, basic things that reach their tendrils up and constrict us. Am I going to pay that car payment again? What's going to happen to me now? Did she remember what I said to her? I have to say something now. All those things that come up. And then your mind is now off of the Lord. And it's fine to be concerned. We'll talk about that. But this obviously goes further than concern alone, right? I don't know about you, but no one's ever said to me, you know, Stephen, you know, we got to deal with the inner sin of your life. And I'm like, okay, great. What is it? They're like, your clothes, your food. Well, that is happening lately. <laughs> They're like, you got to get on the sodium. You got to get off that. But they've never said that. Who's ever said that? 
Because we think food and clothing are a basic part of life. Yes, they are. Why is Jesus honing in on the most basic and fundamental things then? Because he knows that you will never, ever, ever tackle the greater things that you need to tackle in your life if you don't tackle the first things. If you don't rid yourself of the idols of your life that are in the most fundamental pieces, what hope do you have to actually bring the darkest and most difficult things to God? Right? Does that make sense? He's saying, if you don't trust your Father to give you what you need, you'll begin to worry. And then when you worry, you'll begin to seek after the thing you want outside of God. And then when you seek, you'll begin to focus on it and give it your worship. Does that make sense? He says, don't you know? Your heavenly Father knows. Can you say knows? Knows. He knows you need them. Isn't that interesting that he knows you need them? God is not going to deny us what we need. He just knows that we don't need what we think we want. That's a, that's a sit moment. That's a sit in that moment. He knows we don't need it, but we want it. Because even the most basic things can become idols, can become first place in our life. And it robs of a, us of our trust in the Father. Because the things given by God many times can become things that are used by us to replace God. It's the definition of idolatry again. Very interesting what Jesus is getting at here. Because what you seek for, what is idolatrous, the basic thing, the food, the clothing, what I'm going to wear today, it can easily become an idol. And I'm not saying anything against the actual basic need. Some people are, most of the world is actually living hand to mouth. That's not what he's saying here. He's actually speaking to people that are in that situation. And yet he's telling them to trust in the Heavenly Father. Talk about audacious. He's not talking to rich Americans. He's talking to poor, lame, lepers, ostracized. He's telling them this. That they should go not to their accumulation, not to the thing they have, but to the one who has everything. Man, that's wild. Would we be able to tolerate that? that? That's offensive, man. If we were in that place, we would go, oh, don't say that, Jesus. Don't say that. Let's help them first. And he goes, I will help them. I will. If you come to me, all who are heavy laden and birdie, and I will give you rest and I will give you what you need. He's saying the Father will. So I think there's many things we can talk about from this whole passage. I think there's three things that I saw, but I would encourage you, keep going in. Do not let, do not let Sunday be the only time. Uh, that will never, ever satisfy. This is, not your, this is not your daily bread. This is the icing. This is just gathering together as the church. This is being together in fellowship. This is not your daily bread. We should have our daily bread. Amen? Amen? All right. The first thing I think that we can see from this passage is that we're told, we're told, we're commanded, not asked, right? We're told that worry is a wasteful thing. It's a waste on us. Remember that Jesus didn't say, you know, don't be well planned. Proverbs speaks of the ant that stores away, right? And Jesus later on will talk about the man that built his house on the all right, two of you know it, right? Built his house on the? Wow. Built his house on the? 
guys, listen, it may be rainy, but your bed's waiting, all right? I get it, I get it, right? He understands foresight. He sees everything. He's the God who put the stars in the sky, and he knows the end of all the ages. He understands foresight. He's not telling you not to plan for the future and not be stewardship. That's in the word. What is he saying here in this exact moment? He's addressing that busybody worry, the worry that puts me on the throne, that takes God off of the throne. He knows human nature is inevitable. We will be concerned about things, and that's fine. But if the first thought you cannot control is worry, Jesus is simply concerned with the second thought that you can control, which is towards him. That's what I always say to the youth and to the young adults. It's what I was told. You, ha- you will never be able to stop that first thought. That's called sin nature. But you can always control the second thought. The first thought will come, but it's how you redirect it towards Christ or not. Amen? Amen. Whether it be lust, greed, bitterness, jealousy, anger, unforgiveness. Jesus is saying that the worry and the anxiety that Jesus speaks about, it's not the navigating the normal stresses of life. It's obviously not what he's saying. He's saying the heart and mind Because he's using this word that he used other places. He's saying that the heart and mind that is obsessed with knowing the future, controlling the future, right? Afraid of losing control, finding your identity in the food you eat, the clothes you wear. He says, the pagans run after these things. Do not do that. There are so many times when I myself have worried myself into a sick pit. Anyone with me? A sick pit. And now I look back. And I go, God, you had me. You had me. You had me. Why didn't I actually trust you? Worry is a waste. It's a waste. Worry is in direct conflict with the Christian faith. There's been some people in my life who have even said that worry is kind of like atheism. And that's strong, man. That's strong. At first I was like, man, you're wild. That's wild. I'm not going to believe that. Because I was in a worrying time. I was worrying about it all the time. I was like, Mom, Dad, I need financial help. They're like, you can do it. I'm like, Bleh. I'm like, flip, man. I'm living on my own five years. It was wild. COVID hit, lost every job, like five, six, seven jobs. And I'm like, Lord, come on, come on, please. Like, I'm stewarding everything. I'm not going out and partying. I might have the occasional Pringle can, but I'm not going out and partying. And I'm not like losing my money like coffee. I've limited everything. And yet worry came in. There were so many times, and then someone's like, hey, man, don't be filled with unbelief. (laughs) Believe. Don't be atheistic. I'm like, oh, that's hard to hear. But you know what? I feel like that's kind of true. What he said was kind of true, because when I did worry, my sight was not on the Lord at all. It was all on my ability to go out and get a job, my ability to put something on the table, my ability, right? And then I'll pray at the end. I'll be like, God, you know, bless everything I'm going to do today. Hmm. I don't really know if that's what he's getting after, is it? So don't worry. The pagans run after all those things. Jesus says, right, that's the concern of the pagans. The pagans, the people who don't know Christ, right, they seek, they hunger, and they worship these things, what we wear, what we eat, right? Do we do the same? Yes. The people who don't know any better, we know better. And they have nothing more to live for, right? I'm not saying anything about that person who had the video, but it's very interesting to see that, that all I have, maybe, is the clothing in my closet. 
Everything burns down. What do you have now? It happens all the time when people's livelihood is destroyed. Their identity goes with it. They break their legs. They lose their mobility. Their identity goes with them. And then, many times, I've heard these stories, that's when they encounter the Lord. And they are happier after something like that, as crazy as it sounds. But the pagans believed this at that time. Eat, drink, party it up. Today is all you have. There is nothing further. That's a belief that we have today, not just then. That is absolutely what we have today. There is nothing more. We are walking meat suits. So indulge. Indulge while you have the time. And that might be the lifestyle of the pagan, but that's not the lifestyle of the Christian. Amen? Amen. Jesus is not saying that when you're momentarily concerned for the things that happen, that you shouldn't go to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my strong fortress. I run to him and I find refuge. Amen? Amen. He's not saying don't be concerned, but he's talking about are you called to trust in him or not? Amen? So the second thing is that we're called to trust. Your heavenly father knows that you need these things. I think one of the hardest things in life, one of the most difficult things is waiting and giving God your timetable, giving your time frame over to God. It is so difficult. It, it might be one of the most difficult things because it's not truly waiting if you're consistently looking at the clock, right? When you're waiting and you're looking at the clock and you're just counting the moments that God has failed you, well, it would have worked really well at that point. Yeah, it really would have worked well at that point, but you didn't do it. Everyone knows that when you come downstairs and someone's waiting for you, they're not really waiting, they're stewing. They're not really waiting, they're angry. Yeah, some of y'all laughed, I know you. Some of like, you come down the stairs, they're stewing because they're waiting angry. Let's not wait angry. We're called to trust because we know that our Heavenly Father knows our most basic and our most fundamental needs. I honestly believe that most of the stress and anxiety that comes our way is simply because we want God to act on our timetable. And learning to trust God is the same as letting go to God. The first sin of pride, Adam and Eve, was the pride and the desire to want to know more than they needed to. They don't need to know everything. You don't need to know everything. Newsflash, you don't need to know everything. And talk about, I'm preaching to myself right now. I am like really wanting to know the plan, and I love planning it out, and I'm like, I, I need to know, because I love stewarding things well. And that's a gift from God. All of you, right? But you don't need to know everything. Because if you know everything, you don't need the Lord. Learning to trust God and have patience, perseverance, it's an important lesson in discipleship for everybody. And when I look back on my life, I see the moments where the Holy Spirit, man, his timetable was so much better than mine. If I actually got what God, what I was praying for, if I actually had the answered prayer, when I was on my knees going, God, Bring her back to my life. Lord, like, give me this thing I really want. Help me to be this. I want to be that. Lord, why did you do this? Bring it back. 
all the times I was praying. I know that, it, I know that now, that if I actually got what I wanted, I would have been a mess. And he wouldn't have been a good father. Because a father who only gives you what you want at the expense of what you need is a bad father. And none of us want to believe that. Everyone's like, he could. He says all things are going to be given to me. No. No. What you need will be given to you. What you need will be given to you. Sometimes no more, no less. Sometimes way more. Amen? Our father is a good father not a bad father. He gives us what we need, but it's in his timing. Yeah, if the worship team could come up. Thank you. So how do we not worry? How do we learn to walk in simple trust? If I hunger and I desire for something, the only way to counter it is to hunger and seek for something new. Amen? So the final thing I think comes from this passage is we are commanded to have an appetite for the kingdom. Can you say commanded? One more time, nice and loud, commanded. Ain't a good word, is it? Not a good word. Weird word. Not a 21st century, you know, good word for us modern folk. You don't command me. (laughs) Okay. In the same way we seek and we chase food and clothing, Jesus says to desire the kingdom of God. He says, seek first. Does he say, if you feel like it, seek first? If you're navigating a difficult time, seek first. If you're happy, seek first. He says, seek first. Before this, before that, seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Do not step into God's zone. Do not worry yourself with what is in God's hand. It will do you no good. Martha, Martha, you're worried about a great many things. Each day is enough trouble of its own. Everyone is hungry for something, right? We talked about that at the beginning. Everyone is seeking something. We are all seeking something. Jesus took it for granted that we are seekers. It's not natural for us to drift around naturally through life aimlessly, aimlessly. We were created, right, to need We were created to live for something, to give our something over, and then to seek that greater thing, to give it all of our mind and our heart. We were designed that way, right? From the very beginning, human beings were created with the desire to want to partner with the infinite, the infinite that is in our heart. There's a God-shaped hole in every human being. And it cannot be filled with any created thing. It cannot be satisfied with every created thing. Jesus says, the food you eat, the clothes you wear, do not run after these things, trying to clothe yourself with this new identity, trying to satisfy this God-shaped hole when I, your Father, are here. Merely seek Him first. The created thing will fail you. The created thing simply gives reflection to the infinite creator. And Ecclesiastes says this. We have a God-shaped hole because God put eternity in our heart. He puts that GPS in your soul that says your homing beacon is here. It's not here. It's not there. 
He's with you here. Like Martha, he's in the other room. He's in the other room. Go to him. Go to him with your worry. Go to him with your concern. Do not let the basic and fundamental things rob you of your trust. We have a God-shaped hole. I just, this is for Andrew. Where is he? This is for Andrew. Andrew, I love Andrew. We're reading the Chronicles of Narnia right now. Oh, sidebar, if you haven't read Narnia, I don't know what you're doing. Because Narnia is one of the most, I could cry, man. C.S. Lewis is touched by the Holy Spirit, man. If we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world could satisfy, if there is a desire somewhere in you that is yearning for something beyond, and I go to the girl, I go to the guy, I go to the bar, I go to the food, I go to the sex, I go to the money, I go to the fashion, I go to this, and it never will satisfy, never, 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 ever, then I know that I was made for a greater world. I know that I was made for a greater one. I know that my home is in heaven. Amen? God has made us for him. We will always be like Martha, restless, 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 until we find our rest in him. Amen? Why don't we stand? About, about the other things, Jesus says. It's very easy for us to go, all right, well, you know, I'm seeking you, Lord. I'm seeking the kingdom. I'm coming to church. I'm reading my Bible for a couple weeks. So those other things, right? Are you going to give me the other things that I really want? Are you going to fix that problem that I'm really praying for? You know, I did the thing. I'm seeking you. You know, I'm doing it. I really believe that might not be the right attitude, even though that's my attitude normally, and that's our attitude. Because if we seek someone for what they can give us, we're not seeking someone. We know this. A friend who loves you for your car is not your friend. A friend who loves you for your wallet is not your friend. Right? We would we'd be like, bye-bye. But God will never. And he just continually says, no, no, no. Seek me first. Seek me for me. And you will always be satisfied. Seek first his kingdom. As for all the things, they will be thrown in as a matter of his love, as a matter of course, as a matter of his goodness, because he's a good father, right? The God who gives you heaven will never deny you the bread you need for the journey. Just because You've been listening to the Stephen Walsh Teaching Podcast. This podcast is new, so consider subscribing and giving us a follow over on social media. Thanks again for listening, and I hope today has helped you encounter Jesus and counter the culture.